well here at SDSA. Happy that to see so many people joining us for Friends and Family Day here. Always a pleasure to, to have you joining us here, whether it's your first time to church or your first time in a long time. We are happy that you're here, and we're kicking off a new series today called Anger Management. And before you jump in and rush to say, that's not me, I don't need this, I don't have any problem with anger, one of the things we're going to talk about is that anger may go by different names, you may use different words to express your anger, you may call anger different things. You may never say, I'm angry, but you may say, I'm frustrated, or I'm disappointed, or I'm upset, Okay, or I'm just uh, not feeling good about things right now. Regardless of how you express it, I believe anger is one of those emotions that all of us deal with. And if you really want to know whether or not you struggle with anger and you're courageous, don't just look in the mirror and ask yourself. Ask your kids. Ask your spouse. Ask your coworkers. Ask the people that you, uh, ask the guy in the Starbucks line who was in front of you, okay, who they had to redo his order because he ordered the half-calf or the full-calf and they gave him the opposite. No one really cares in the end. Ask that guy if you have a problem with anger as he felt your eyes beating down on him. How about this one? Ask the people, obviously you can't, but let's say you could. Let's say you could ask the people that are next to you in your morning commute whether you have a problem with anger. AAA did a study in 2016 about road rage and anger while driving. And they said 80%, 80% of drivers, quote, have expressed significant anger or aggression or road rage once in the past year. 80%. And then they started to, to break it down. They said purposefully tailgating another driver, 51%. 51% of people admitted to purposefully tailgating someone else who, who they got annoyed at on the road. Yelling at another driver, 47%. I don't know if that's yelling like out loud or yelling in your head. Clearly, if it's ye or yelling just in your car, rolling down the window. But if it was yelling in the car only, it's got to be higher than that. Honk to show anger or annoyance, 45%. That seems low to me. 24% of people surveyed, 24% of people said that when somebody cuts them off, they will speed up to pass them and make sure to or do, do, attempt to block them from passing them again. And all these numbers, by the way, are a certain number in the suburbs and then urban areas like DC, New York kind of areas, the numbers go up significantly. These are national averages. And then I'll read this last one just here verbatim. I'll read it quote because this is the part that, that, that made me shake my head. The most alarming findings suggest that approximately 8 million U.S. drivers, 8 million U.S. drivers engaged in extreme examples of road rage, including, <laughs> including purposefully ramming into another vehicle or getting out of the car to confront another driver. 8 million people purposefully rammed into another vehicle. Some people got like a guilty smile on their face right now. <laughs> I look at this and say, this is just while driving to work? Like this isn't even talking about when we get home from work or what we do at work or when someone pushes our, this is just on the way to work? Houston, we got a problem. Because every single day, we're all challenged to control our anger and to keep our emotions in check. And the question I want to start us off with here. Okay, the message of today's, the title of today's message is, is there a right way to get angry? 
is there a right way to get angry? We all get angry. I don't think the goal of, of, of what I'm going to talk about here over the next four weeks isn't to tell you never get angry. Because Telling you not to get angry is like telling you don't get hungry. It's like telling you don't get tired. Like it's not possible to not get angry. But my question for us to, to think about, is there a right way to get angry? Said another way, is it possible that at times getting angry isn't wrong? Well, I would say the opposite. I would say that at times, if you don't get angry, that would be wrong. Let's say I'm at home with my wife and my kids and someone came in and tried to hurt my family. I think it would be wrong for me not to get angry. I think it'd be wrong for me to say, count to 10. No, you get angry. I think if you see a kid bullying another kid in the street, whether it's your kid or not, not your kid, I think you get angry. I think it's wrong not to get angry. If you see injustice, if you see racism, if you see abuse, and you don't get angry, then that's wrong. Because I look at our Lord Jesus Christ. Did he ever get angry? Oh, yeah, he got angry. He got angry when we went into the temple that one day, and the people were, were misusing the temple. And the people were using the house of God for an improper purpose. Oh, he got angry. Whip of cords, threw everybody out. He got angry when he talked to those Pharisee guys and he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you. Y'all are like whitewashed tombstones. Y'all just act haughty-taughty, but in the end, the net result of your work, all you do is you pick on the little guy, your spiritual bullies. You know all the Bible verses, but all you do is push other little people around. He got angry. I don't think anger is necessarily bad, but I think it's what you do with it. So what we want to do is separate kind of the emotion of anger, the feeling of anger that we all feel from the response. And we really want to focus on that response of how we respond when we get angry. Our theme verse is going to kind of carry us through the next four weeks together is Ephesians 4, 26, which says it so plainly and so simply and so clearly. It says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. So by the fact that that's in the scriptures, well, what that's telling us is there's a way to be angry in a sinful way and be angry in a non-sinful way. And what we want to do is focus on is that non-sinful way. Now, I say we're going to talk about anger. Two responses to everyone from people in the room. Two responses. I want to address them right off the bat. The first one is, I don't have an anger problem. Everyone around me is just crazy. I don't have an anger problem. It's just my kids are crazy. My wife is crazy. My, my boss is crazy. Everyone on the road is crazy. The Starbucks guy is too slow. My uh, coworker is too uh, annoying. Like everyone around me is crazy. Okay. If you really believe that everyone around you, like it's everyone else's fault. If they behaved, if everyone in the whole wide world behaved the way I wanted them to behave, I wouldn't have an anger problem. Let's think about this logically. If... My boss is annoying, and my spouse is annoying, and my kids are annoying, and my colleagues are annoying, and my friends are annoying. What's the common link between all those people? <laughs> What's my boss and my spouse and my kids and my colleagues all have in common? Maybe the crazy, the initiator of the crazy is like the person who says, says, every ex-girlfriend I ever had is crazy. Every ex-girlfriend I had. Really? Every single one. What happened? Every single one got to the point where she just, and it, really, it's every single one. Oh, and, and how many of them? Oh, 10, 15? Oh, yeah, every single one of them. Yeah, it's, it's got to be their fault. So the first group of people, it's everyone else's fault. No, we got to look in the mirror. The second group of people, 
will say, I don't have an anger problem. And to you, what I want to say right off the bat is again, like I said in the beginning is, you may not be like a violent person. And you may not be like a throwing stuff, throwing the frying pan at your husband kind of a person. Or you may not be the, the, the person that, that smashes holes in the wall. But that doesn't mean you don't have a problem with anger. Because we express anger in different ways. And some ways, admittedly, are classier than others. And some ways seem better than others. But in the end, it's just kind of anger. So what I want to look at right off the bat here is I think there's four kind of ways that people express anger. And ironically enough, when I was looking at these four ways, the four ways of expressing anger match perfectly, perfectly, the four characters on The Simpsons. So if you know The Simpsons, you know the four ways of expressing anger. The first two are more common, the second two not as much. Let's start with the, the parents of The Simpsons, okay? The first way of expressing anger is the exploder and the imploder. Those are the first two. Some people are exploders. Some people are imploders. Some people blow up. Some people bottle up. Some people are silent. Some people are violent. Some people, when they get angry, it's like getting shot with a shotgun. Other people, when they get angry, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Let's start with the exploder. The exploder is the person who can't hold it in. Gotta verbalize, gotta express. They yell, they scream, they curse, they may throw stuff, okay? This is the person that can't walk away, okay? This is the person that, that has to discuss it right now. And this is the person that if you walk away from them, if you're married to an exploder, if you, if you have the fight and you start to walk away and then you hear footsteps behind you, you're married to an exploder, okay? And there's not enough space in your house, square footage to get away from an exploder because they need to talk about it and they need to verbalize it and they need to get it out. That's just how God made them. The imploder is the opposite. The imploder never wants to talk about it. The imploder will never even admit that he's angry. The imploder, the number one rule if you're an imploder, the number one rule if you're an imploder, I'm speaking as a fellow imploder, the number one rule, never, ever, ever admit it, ever. You will, you know, you can find your way for, Harry, I'm fine. Are you upset? No, I'm fine. How you feel? I'm fine. You can find your way, find your way to the end of time. You will deny it to yourself. You'll deny it to your spouse. you deny it to your kids. You will deny it in a court of law. You will lie through your teeth and say, I'm fine. I'm not upset. I'm fine. You know you're married to an imploder. If you ever fight about who got angry first, you're married to an imploder. Because an imploder will never admit he got angry. In fact, if you are an imploder, if you're married to an imploder, they will never even admit that they got angry in the first place, and you're the one who lost your cool. Imploders, we have to admit it, okay, for those of us who are imploders, we tend to look down on exploders, and we tend to see them as weaker. I'm admitting the truth right here. We see them as weaker because they don't have the self-control we have. It's not self-control. It's not self-control. That's just how God made us, that we actually express it in a quiet way, but look, whether a mountain explodes or it implodes, either way, the end is destruction. And I'll be honest with you. I actually feel bad for the exploder. As an imploder, I feel bad for them. Because like I said, the exploder and the imploder, they both have anger issues. 
But the difference is the exploder, everyone kind of notices and would point fingers and say, anger problem, anger problem, anger problem. No one would ever say that to an imploder. We have the moral high ground because we just kind of walk away and we just kind of pray for the other person. And we may be grieved in our spirit, but we don't ever let it show. Everyone looks down on the exploder. And, okay, while I'm saying they're all equal in the sense that they're all anger, I have to be honest, there's a lot worse consequences to being an exploder. The consequences are much greater, okay? And in a moment of explosion, especially if it happens outside of the home or, or could in, within the home or whatever it may be, could have serious ramifications. But what I believe about the exploder is easier for you to solve it because at least you're aware of it, whereas the imploder is probably pulling the wool over his eyes. That's the first two, exploder, imploder. The second two are the martyr and the manipulator. The martyr and the manipulator. Let's start with the martyr. The martyr doesn't explode, but the martyr certainly is not silent. The martyr tends to focus their anger inwards on themselves. And this is the woe is me person, the victim person, the pity, the play me a violin for the pity party person. This is the person who gets angry and usually condemns themselves. I must be a bad mom. I must be a bad husband. I must be a bad son. I must be doing something wrong. Like, I'm bad. It's my fault. If I was better, this wouldn't have happened. And this person will express th this person. You're married to this person, okay? And it, we're not looking down at any of them. We're just kind of being honest right here. Being in a close relationship with this person can be emotionally draining because you are constantly pleading with them. You're constantly begging them not to be upset, not to take it personally. You're constantly begging them to come back, okay? Don't hide in your room. Don't just go into your shell. Don't just go into woe is me. You're not the victim. Everyone loves you, but we just need to communicate. And it's constantly, constantly, constantly pleading with this person who in their mind, no one understands. I'm a victim. The manipulator. Their motto is don't get mad, get even. And manipulators. Again, kind of like the imploder, will never say they're angry. They'll never say they're angry because that's kind of working against them. They want you to think everything is fine. Manipulators are the smart people, by the way. Okay? And if you are, listen carefully to you, exploder. If you're married to a manipulator, watch out. Okay? Or if you're in a relationship with a manipulator, watch out. Because what the manipulator will do is they love to be around you because they can push your buttons, get you to explode. And then they would say, oh, you're, you say, oh, I'm not upset. I'm just joking. We're just having fun. Like, why are you getting all upset? They'll jab, jab, and they say, no, it's the problem. Snarky comment here, okay? A little shot right there. Watch out for those manipulators. You know who's the worst manipulators? Religious people, spiritual people. The worst manipulators are the people who use Bible verses and spiritual terms to manipulate other people when they're angry. For example, people will tell you, you know, they're jabbing, they're jabbing. I think you're letting the devil into this relationship. <laughs> I believe you're giving the devil a stronghold here. And they will spiritual term after spiritual term because, hey, they're calm, okay? And they're pushing your buttons and trying to get you to feel like you're the evil one. I remember, okay, this was several years back, okay? I had a colleague, someone that I, that I worked with, who she was, she was the manipulator. Okay, and she was very good. She knew all the Bible verses and she had, and she could maintain control and even the most heated situation. 
So what she would do, she was very spiritual. And she would say, I need to confront you in love. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with that. That's what it says in the Bible. And he'd speak the truth in love. And then she would jab and boom and boom and boom. And of course, the other person would get upset. And the other person would lose their cool. And then she'd come and say, you know, so-and-so, you know, I don't really know what's going on over there. This is a Christian environment. And she's losing her cool. And it took me, okay, I was kind of like, uh, like uh, kind of the boss of, of this. It took me like two or three of the situations to realize like, hey, again, when, when, when that one and that one and that one, like it's this one. Okay, you're the manipulator. You're the one who's kind of the spiritual bully. And just because you have better self-control doesn't mean that you're any better. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Okay, back in the day, walls were very important to a city because if you had, let's say this is my city right here, I had to build walls around it because if I didn't have walls around it, anyone could just come and overtake my city. So walls were your first line of defense. And what the scripture teaches us right here is that anger, inevitable. We're all gonna get angry. Every one of us, like I said, it's an emotion. But we need to learn how to control that emotion. And we need to learn how to respond in a godly way to be angry and do not sin. Because if not, we are defenseless. We are in a very weak position. You want me to tell you what's a very weak position to be in emotionally or relationally? The position where you say, you make me so mad. That's a very weak position to be in. My husband makes me so mad. My kids drive me crazy. My boss makes me so angry. That's a very weak position because what you've said is, I don't have control. I'm just a pawn. I'm just a leaf blowing in the wind. And when my boss does this, I'm angry. And my boss does this, I'm not angry. And I basically have no control. You make me so mad. Well, what I'm saying is I'm taking back control of my life. No one has the ability to make me angry, to make me mad. No one has the ability to make me lose my cool. And I need to take back control, put up walls, or else... I'll be constantly manipulated, controlled by others, and the consequences of it will be severe. Now, the good news is all of those responses, which I just kind of told you, the manipulator, the martyr, the exploiter, the imploder, the way you respond to anger oftentimes is a learned behavior. It is something that you learn from your parents. Maybe you learned it from, from like a, a brother or sister Maybe you learned it from the TV. Maybe that's just how your culture is. It's usually a learned behavior. So the good thing is, if there's a behavior that's learned, it can be unlearned. That's what our goal is gonna be here in this series, is to unlearn all of those ways of uncontrolled anger to get back in control. Because if you want to lose at life, if you want to lose at life, have no control over your anger. You will lose in relationships, you will lose in your career, you will lose in life if you have no ability to control how you respond to anger. Proverbs 16.32 basically says the same thing in slightly different words. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. All right, so what we're going to do here in this series, we're going to talk strategy on how to deal with anger. We're going to talk about in the coming weeks, we're going to have one week, we're going to talk about how to resolve conflict. We're gonna talk one week about how to set healthy boundaries. We're gonna talk about being a people pleaser and approval addiction. We're gonna talk about all those different things. But today, what we wanna talk about specifically, three general thoughts on dealing with anger in a godly way. Okay, we're gonna kind of get over the coming weeks into more specifics, but today, three general thoughts 
on how we should approach the topic of anger. And they're going to be very easy for you to remember because they're going to be go slower, go deeper, go higher. Say that with me. Say go slower, go deeper, go higher. Let's start with go slower. First thing we're going to do, pause before reacting. We will pause before reacting. You know, like we teach our kids to think before they speak, and then we become adults, and we never think before we speak. We just kind of speak, and then we think about it later. Okay, we're going to go back to the way we taught our kids, and we're going to take that advice. And we are going to think, we're going to actually pause before we react. So we're not just going to hit send. We're going to pause. We're not just going to keep going in that conversation. Sometimes we're going to say, you know what? Hey, can we take a time out for this conversation? I don't feel like it's going well. Like each to their own corner and let's come back. Let's come back to this after lunch. We are going to stop texting because it's going nowhere on texting. And we're going to say, hey, let's talk about this in person next time we see each other. We are going to do, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to walk away from the Facebook. Walk away from the Facebook without responding. That's what we are going to do. We are going to pause. We're going to go slower. Benjamin Franklin once said, Whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. And I would agree with that statement. Whatever is begun in anger ends with shame. There will always be a cost to anger, especially when it's done hasty. One of the things that I've always believed, okay, and, and, and I realize I'm going to tell you advice right now that most people will tell you the exact opposite. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying this works for me. This is what I see works for relationships. And this is what I advise people oftentimes when they find themselves struggling with anger, specifically in marriage, but could be in any context. You know the advice of never go to bed angry? I don't know who wrote that. Probably someone who's single is what I would imagine. Because I personally believe that a lot of times the reason why a fight starts here, right married people, it kind of starts here, and then it ends up here. And nothing happened to go from here to here. You know, the only thing that happened is we kept talking. Like nothing actually happened. We started here and it should be here. And then we kept on talking. So it slowly crept up. I think the best thing that you can do that me and Marianne have learned to take advantage of is sometimes, you know what? Let's just go to bed and talk about it in the morning. And sometimes you wake up in the morning and be like, remember the thing we talked about last night? Yeah, I was being stupid. Well, I was being stupid too. Okay, let's have breakfast. Like that's it, it's over. But at night, no, how come? She, better, huh, what? At night, pride and ego. But in morning, spend two minutes in prayer, read your Bible. So all of a sudden, things become clear when you give it some time and give it some space. Now, the, 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 as an imploder, the danger of going to bed angry is that you will not come back together in the morning. So this, that's why I'm saying those, that advice of never go to bed angry, I get it in the sense of, in a long-term way, you can't just kind of leave the conflict because that's not healthy either. But my point is that sometimes the best thing to do is go to bed and wake up and discuss it. Or the best thing to do is take a half hour break. Everyone take a walk. Someone go into the room and say a prayer for, or do something like that. Open up their Bible. Like sometimes the best thing is to stop the conversation, give it some time, and then come back to it. Proverbs 14, verse 29. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Notice here, he didn't say who has no wrath, but he who is slow to wrath. He who knows how to just pump the brakes. 
Okay, because this thing is, is, is escalating quick, and I just need to call a timeout and take a minute to breathe. Now, while I am taking that timeout, what should I be doing? What should I be thinking about? I could thought of three questions that you can ask yourself when you're taking that timeout. First thing, ask yourself, why am I angry? Ask yourself, why am I so angry? Why am I angry? Am I angry? Be honest. Because of what's right and what's wrong? Or because that's kind of like an ego, a pride, like I kind of feel disrespected, I kind of feel offended. Ask yourself, be honest, why am I angry? Is it about me? Is it about us? Ask yourself and be honest. Number two, not just why am I angry? Number two, what do I want to accomplish here? What do I want to come with this conversation, this argument, this debate? What is the goal? Like what's the best? This is why I always ask couples when they come to me and say, help us with this. What outcome do you want to come of this? Is the outcome, I want her to tell me I'm right. I want her to tell me that, I, that she was wrong. Because that's not an outcome I can help you much with. But is the outcome to get to the best place, connected again, and what's best for the family or what's best for the, for the friendship? If so, number three, how do I get to that point? Will exploding on my kids get me to the point that I want in my relationship with my kids? Because if so, explode away, man. Will going into a shell and never speaking about this topic ever again, will that get me to where the level of intimacy that I want in this relationship? Ask yourself, why am I angry? What do I want? How do I get there? Most likely you'll be in a better position. James chapter one, verse 19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, again, slow to wrath. Why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Can I put that in my own words? What I want to say is when you are quick to wrath, when you do not pause, when you, when you just react impulsive, there's going to be a cost. And it's going to be a great cost. And you may not be prepared to deal with that cost. How many relationships are distant today because of a moment of impulsivity? At Thanksgiving in 1988, how many careers are derailed because somebody couldn't hold their temper and they exploded at just the wrong time in front of just the wrong people? There'll always be a cost. It'll be a cost to your health, a cost to your spiritual life because anger only creates more anger. Aggression creates more aggression. And the fastest way to destroy any relationship is uncontrolled anger. So number one, we said we are going to go slow. We're going slower. We're going to pause before we react. Number two, after we go slower, we're going to go deeper. And go deeper, what I mean by that is we're going to go past words to feelings. We're going to go past what did the person say and the words they used to what is the underlying emotion or feeling that they are trying to communicate through those words. For example, let's play an example. It's a Sunday afternoon in the fall, which means that if you are like me, you are spending Sunday afternoon in front of the TV watching God sport football. And it is God's sport because why else would it be on Sundays? Like, it's just logic, okay? It's his day off, okay? And it's our day off. Like, it's everyone's day off. That's why he put the NFL on Sundays. And your wife comes to you and says, you watch too much football. And you ready to get the gloves out and start swinging to protect your sanctuary. 
What emotion might she be trying to communicate? Well, maybe she's trying to communicate. I miss you. Maybe she, all the guys are like, nah, nah, she doesn't miss me. <laughs> okay, for the newlyweds, if you're in your first two years of marriage, okay? But after that, yeah, she probably doesn't miss you, okay? <laughs> but maybe what she's trying to communicate is, I feel that me and the kids are not a priority to you. I feel that your priorities are out of bounds. I feel that you're neglecting your duties around the house. Like there's a myriad of things that may be communicated with the words, you watch too much football. We want to do is respond to the emotion, not just to the words. How about your coworker? Getting a little snarky with you at the office. Okay, maybe a, a, a jab here, maybe kind of challenge you there. And you want to respond back, say, hey, what's your problem? Maybe what, what might the emotion be under there? Well, maybe that person is feeling a little insecure about their position. Maybe they feel like your star is on the rise and theirs is on the decline. So instead of talking to the words, maybe you talk to the emotion, you solve the whole problem. Kids, no example, but everything your kids say. Everything your kids say is not about the words that they use, but the emotion underneath it. Everything they say, because children are not as emotionally in tune and I... As if we are, I'm not saying that we're so great at it, but everything your kids say, there's an emotion underneath there. Go to the emotion. Don't just stop at the words. I'll tell you one that I get sometimes. Okay, and people say this to me, not in, an, in a confrontational way, but sometimes people say this to me and I, it, I, inside I shudder. I know they're saying this respectful, so I'm not saying it. Some people say, hey, Father Anthony, I know you're so busy. You know, I just need a minute. I know you're so busy. I know you're so busy. And what I think that they're saying is I feel like I'm unimportant to you. I feel like so-and-so's important or so-and-so's important, but I kind of feel like I'm unimportant. And I don't, that, that hurts my feelings. Like, I don't want anyone to feel unimportant, okay? I used to get defensive. I mean, I'm busy. No, there's, there's a feeling underneath there. We're gonna go deeper. We're gonna see past words. We're gonna realize that, again, like children, angry people say things they don't mean all the time. If you've ever had a child throw a temper tantrum, I hate you, and I hate you, and I hate you, and I wish you were dead, and I hate you. We, do we respond to the words? How dare you say that? What we know is they're two, they're three, they're saying stuff they don't mean. We don't care what they say. We respond to what they need. Okay, what you need right now is just cool it. You need a minute. Like, we don't respond to what they say. Well, I'm saying your, your two-year-old is that way. Your 22-year-old son may be no different emotionally. Your 32-year-old coworker may be no different. Your 42-year-old boss may be no different. We want to look past the angry words and go to the emotion underneath them. Proverbs 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook an offense. Maybe you've heard this saying before. Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. The person who's coming at you, guns blazing is someone that has probably been hurt before by somebody else, or let's be honest, you. And they're coming at you with all kinds of anger because of what someone else did or quite possibly what you did last week. So we need to look past the words and go to the emotion. Hurt people hurt people. Unkind people have probably been treated without kindness. Snarky people are probably dealt with in snarky ways. Sarcastic people grew up in sarcastic homes. Like, it, it just, the example just keeps on going. You know who's the most loving and generous 
people on the planet, the people who have been dealt with in loving and generous ways. I realize there's exceptions, but for the most part, we are products of our environment. And, and we come trusting because we've been trusted. We come loving because we've been loved. We come generous because we've been given. So when you see a person not generous, not kind, realize that there's probably a reason behind it. And hopefully we'll react to that, not just their words. Dale Carnegie, who wrote a great book that I just, uh, I was reading the other day, started reading how to uh, win friends and influence people. Or win, influence people, yeah. Great book, okay, long time ago. Win friends, influence people, great book, classic. He said this, I think this is so true. This is so true. There's one longing, almost as deep, almost as imperious as the desire for food or sleep, which is seldom gratified. It is what Freud calls the desire to be great. It is what Dewey calls the desire to be important. You know, no one says, I want to be a cranky person. Like, this is my goal, to be the most critical person in the office. That's my goal. My goal is to be judgmental. My goal is to be rude. No one says that. But you know what's behind that behavior? A cry for help. A cry for I don't feel good about myself. And you know the whole misery loves company thing? If I'm not feeling good about where I'm at, then I kind of, I don't want you to feel good about where you're at. But the solution is to help people see that they are important and they do have value and not to respond to their words. Jesus said it very similarly like this in Matthew chapter six, okay, verse 43. Oops, sorry. I think I lost the clicker right here. Oh, sorry, went back. There we go. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Ask yourself this question, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I want you to seriously ask yourself, I want you to answer this question. Who are you going to be like? Your father in heaven or everybody else? Because your father in heaven doesn't respond to the words that people say. He responds to the need that's behind it. Are you going to be like your father in heaven? Are you going to be like everybody else who just reacts to what people say? Thank God. I, I hope you're thankful as I'm thankful that God does not respond to our words because every one of us has been a time we said, you know what, God, we don't want anything to do with you. And thank God God didn't say, okay, fine. Every one of us has been in a situation where we say, you know what, I'm too busy for you. And thankfully he didn't say, well, I'm too busy for you now. Like, thankfully he doesn't respond to us at our words. He looks past our words and gives us what we need. That's what grace is all about. What about you? Your eye for an eye? Your tooth for a tooth? Are you grace? Or you look past the pain, look past the words to the pain that's underneath there? You know, if I can, I can kind of be honest right here, we're just amongst friends right here. I say this, I get criticized a lot. Not by you, okay? At least not knowingly by you, maybe by you, okay? But there's a lot of people who criticize me and don't like me. And a lot of people, a lot of people are very angry, okay, on the internet. And they criticize me. 
There are people out there, did you know, that watch every single one of my sermons, every one of my sermons, just to find something wrong. You know how much anger? You have to do that, and a lot of time, obviously, as well, because they kind of go back historically. You gotta have a lot of anger to listen to every sermon of a guy that you hate. Like, there's just the logic of it, like, and I'll be honest, there are times I'm tempted to hate back and to angry back and to criticize back because I'm good with words, so I can, you know, I can, I can hold my own. But I made a decision. I will not give anyone. I will not give anyone. I will not give anyone. I know they're probably going to watch this sermon, so I'll talk to the camera, okay? <laughs> I will not give anyone the satisfaction of being my enemy. I will not. Even if I am their enemy, and someone will call me their enemy, I will not give anyone the satisfaction to say that person is my enemy. Because you know why? I say this, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. I say this about every single person. They're not that important to me. You are not that important to me. You know what's important to me? Because one day I'm going to stand in front of my heavenly father. And he told me these words. To be my son, which is my only desire in life. You love those who hate you. You pray for those who curse you. That's what he told me. And I don't see much wiggle room in here of like, well, unless they posted it on Facebook, then it's okay. Or unless they, were, they, unless they cut you off on the beltway, no, then you do not pray for them. Then you curse them. I don't see any of that wiggle room. Like if anyone's translation says that, please pass it along. But what I see is that I am being asked to love as he loved. And he did not love me with, with, with qualification. He did not love me with excuses. He did not say, okay, love, I love Father Anthony, but if he steps over this line, he's out, and I'll show him. I don't see that. So with all my due respect to anyone out there who's angry at me, anyone who's angry at me, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't mean that in a rude, disrespectful way. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to stand in front of God and I say, I'm ready to enter. And he says, no, 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 no. But remember and remember, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. No one's worth it. I remember um, Bishop Angelos, okay, who is the bishop, the Coptic bishop out in the UK, one time in speaking about like uh, persecution and terrorism. He said something which I'll never forget. He said, the terrorists win not when they kill Christians, but when they make you hate them. That's when they win. That's when you have died. I agree. No one out there is going to make me hate them. And I hope you would say the same. So because of that, let's recap. And we'll get to our third one quickly and send you off to go watch the Redskins lose to the Cowboys. <laughs> How appropriate, we're talking about anger on Cowboys Week, okay, and hate, okay. We're going to go slower. We're going to pause before we react. Number two, we're going to go deeper. We're not going to listen to words. We're going to look at emotions. And number three, we're going to go higher, or we're going to pray for help. Because all that stuff I just said a minute ago sounds nice, but man, it ain't easy. And if we're going to do it, it's going to require help from above. The long-term solution to anger is not strategies, it's not a three-step plan. Like, we'll talk about all that stuff, but the long-term solution is prayer 
for a change of heart that only God can give. That the things which push my buttons, the, the solution is not that less people would push my buttons, but that I'd have less buttons to push. That fewer things would set me off so I wouldn't need to count to 100 every time my kid does this. That fewer things would cause me to even have to get to that point. I'll ask you a silly question and just humor me right here. If I have a bottle of toothpaste and I squeeze it, what will come out? Toothpaste, why? Because that's what's inside it. Like if I have a bottle of ketchup and squeeze it, what'll come out? Ketchup, why? That's what's inside. So I don't expect to squeeze the ketchup and get the toothpaste or the toothpaste get the ketchup. If I eat, you know, corn and you squeeze me, what's gonna come out is gonna be corn. Okay, just like it went in, gonna come right out the same way. Because what's inside you is what comes out of you. And sometimes something comes out of our mouth and we're like, where did that come from? I don't know where that came from. No, I know where it came from. It came from inside you. Because Jesus told us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what is in you is what comes out of you. I said this one time in a, in a relationship series, that what's in you will come out of you regardless of who's with you. Okay, we always think it's the person who's with me's fault. They're, they're bringing all this out of me. No, they may have bumped into the ketchup bottle, but the reason ketchup came out is because you're ketchup on the inside. That what's in you will come out of you regardless of who's with you. It's just a matter of time. So the solution, the only solution long-term is to change what's inside. And I love this verse from Galatians chapter five, verse 22. This is our prayer. This is why we come to church. This is why we read the Bible. This is why we pray so that we would have the fruit of the spirit inside of us. And what is that? That is love. That is joy. That is peace. That is long suffering or patience. That is kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's our prayer. And if you're not praying for the fruit of the spirit, like do the strategies. I'm not saying don't do the strategies. Do exactly what I said. But if you're not praying for the fruit of the spirit, short term, you'll probably have some success, but long term, you'll probably struggle. Only solution long term is to ask God to fill you with peace versus anger, calmness, gentleness, peaceableness, as it says right there. My experience says this, that when I'm connected to God, when I'm connected to God, it is very difficult to push my buttons. I'm the same person, you're the same person. But what my experience says, when I'm living in a, a vibrant relationship with God, I'm praying, I'm church, I'm Bible, I'm giving, I'm fasting. Like when I'm in it and I'm serious, it is very difficult to push my buttons. And when I'm not doing those things, it is very easy to push my buttons. And we will be tempted to think it's because she did or because he did. But the truth of the matter is, when they did the exact same thing last week, we were fine. And the truth of the matter is when the traffic was the exact same the day before and the day before and the day before, we never cursed like we did. We never got so angry. The truth is that when my boss did that to every other person in the office, nobody else lost their cool the way I did. So maybe it's not my boss. Maybe it's not my kids. Maybe it's not the traffic. Maybe it's me. And I need to pray. God would do a, a work on the inside of me and change what's there. Because when I'm connected to him and when he's real inside me, you know who's inside me? I told you, you squeeze the ketchup, you get the ketchup, you squeeze the toothpaste, you get the toothpaste, you squeeze the corn, you get the corn. 
What happens when you squeeze Jesus? What happened when Jesus on the cross and they mocked him and they beat him and they spit on him and they pushed him to his limit and no more and Jesus kept his mouth shut, kept his mouth shut and finally said, I can't keep my mouth shut no more. I gotta do it. Father, forgive them. Look what happens when you squeeze Jesus. Forgiveness. Because that's what's inside of you. We're going to read a passage from scripture. It's kind of long. I promise I won't explain it. We're just going to read it. No explanation. Just read it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Again, I don't see much wiggle room there. I don't see much wiggle room for, but you don't know what my kids did. And you don't know what my wife said. And you don't know what she, I don't see much wiggle room there. So instead of focusing on everybody else, we're gonna focus on ourselves in this series. Your kids are always gonna be kids. They're always gonna be messy. They're kids, it's their job to be messy. We're gonna focus on ourselves. Your boss, he's prickly by nature. He's always gonna be prickly. He's always gonna be snarky. Like that's just who he is. He's not gonna change. We're gonna focus on ourselves. Your husband, God bless his soul, will never remember your birthday for the rest of your life. That is not gonna change. We're gonna focus on ourselves. Your wife, God bless her soul. We love her so much. She will never be on time for the rest of her life to any event. She was late when she was born, probably. Over her own funeral, she'll find a way to be late to that. Like your wife will never be on time. But we'll find a way. We'll find a way to love because that's what we were commanded to do. Last verse, and then I'm done. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is time to take back control over our lives. My boss cannot control my life. My kids cannot control my life. My spouse cannot control my life. Only one person controls my life. That is Jesus. Jesus is in control of my life. No one else. And Jesus tells me that I am to love as I have been loved. Not based on what the other person does, but based on what he did for me. And let that be our guiding principle when dealing with others who make us angry. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the grace and the love and the mercy and kindness that you've showed to us way past what we deserve. Like we passed what we deserved like so long ago from you, God, but you continue to give us so many good things that we'll never deserve. I pray, Lord, you would do a work inside all of our hearts. That you would do a work, Lord, of peace and of love and of kindness that you would implant in us 
your spirit, that we can truly live the fruit of the spirit and see it in all of our relationships. We pray these things in the name of your son, the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.